Miss Chong? Hi. Oh my gosh, it's so nice to hear you. How are you? Good, how are you? I'm good, I'm good. Look at you, podcast host. I'm trying. <laughs> yeah, I was, I was just show, showing off about you. Oh, no way. My, my teacher friends now, who are all your age. No, oh my gosh, no way. <laughs> yeah, it's been what, 11 years, 10 or 11, 11 years since you were in my class. Since I was in eighth grade. Yeah. No way. It feels like five years ago. Yeah. You're an old lady now. Oh, gosh. Right. Yeah. How how old were you when you started teaching? 21. Oh, my God. In, in our class, I think you were like 22, 23? Nope. 21. 21. You were my first class. Oh. Mm-hmm. Oh, my God. Oh, gosh. I'm sorry. I'm astonished. Now I'm like, I'm turning 24 next year. Mm-hmm. And that feels like yesterday, but also a million years ago. But awesome. Okay, so thank you for being on, you know, my podcast. And I can't wait to catch up with you. And also just, you were one of the people that came up to mind when I was thinking about, like, just growth and overall like you were always doing something even when I was like in your class like always doing the next big thing and progressing so much in your career and professional and personal life I always like looked up to you that way so I wanted to get into just like your experience in teaching and you know what have you been up to these past like 10 years (laughs) time flies right Mm -hmm. yeah well thank you that's such an honor. Um, it's such an honor. I feel so proud of you. It's such a it's such an interesting feeling to feel honored and proud at the same time when those feelings are married together because I feel both <laughs> very equally. Um, yeah, I'm excited. Where to start? Where to start? So. Last time I caught up with you, you were teaching at, you know, IS-145. So what have you been doing since then in terms of, like, teaching? Uh, you mentioned you're in some master, uh, not master's, graduate programs. So if you could just expand on that. Sure. Um, right now, currently, I have a couple of exciting things professionally going on. Mm-hmm. Um, I am still teaching at IS-145, as you know. Mm-hmm. Um, I am not in the classroom as much as I used to be when I was your teacher. I do a lot of the um, supporting of the new teachers now. I work very closely with administration at the school now. A lot of the professional development, meaning like trainings for the school. So I do a lot of that in the school right now. I'm also in a doctorate program. I'm working on my dissertation this year writing my dissertation proposal Um, and I'm researching mothers of students of color and what they care about in terms of their children's education and I'm also in another graduate program for school administration Um, so that's that's that I'm starting this year and um, yeah that's exciting too And I'm also a research assistant for my dissertation sponsor. Um, And we're working on a project creating a set of rubrics for New York State um, to be used across New York State schools Mm -hmm. in terms of um, culturally responsive leadership. So helping schools think about themselves as school entities and thinking about how they are best serving the needs of their culturally diverse students. So I'm really excited to be part of that project. And my dissertation sponsor is just like a rock star like you. Um, and yeah, I, I love being under her wing and learning from her because I think, it, I think it's important to surround yourself with people that just think are rock stars um mm-hmm. so she's doing a lot of big things too that i get to kind of be part of through osmosis because i'm doing a lot with her so mm-hmm. she's she's um part of this team that she's a professor at teachers college columbia that's where i'm getting my 
my doctorate from and hopefully getting my doctorate from um and For she sure. is she her her department or she just received the largest grant teachers college has ever received to write a black studies curriculum for New York City Department of Education. It's just like groundbreaking. There's never been a black studies curriculum. Wow. Um, yeah, so again, she's a rock star. So, I, I, so the, the center there, um, it's called the um, Office of Emancipatory Education, the Center for Emancipatory Education. And they're doing a lot of projects around professional development and curriculum development. Obviously, they're making this um, curriculum for the DOE um, to be used in schools and DOE schools. So I get to be a lot, a part of a lot of those conversations um, through osmosis. Um, so I'm excited about. So that's kind of my professional world. Keeps me very busy. <laughs> and very yeah, excited. I'm sure. Oh, and then you have two kids now no yeah so i have a almost three-year-old and a one-year-old sam how do you do it do you uh, how are you awake right now i'd be sleeping i don't know i don't know wow and how's motherhood (laughs) treating you motherhood is great it's tiring and inspiring (laughs) um in equal parts in equal parts there's no time to ask how I do it. It's just there's no time for that kind of talk. <laughs> right. Okay. Aww. No, that's that's awesome. Like everything you have going on, and oh, wow. And you recently moved out of um, New York City, no? Yes. Oh, it was bittersweet. I'm here a lot, so I feel like it was a soft move. Um, you know, I grew up in Jackson Heights. I grew up here and I lived here and I, my kids were born here. Mm-hmm. I mean, they weren't born here. They were born in Queens, but yeah. they weren't born in Jackson Heights. But they were, they came into, you know, the world. They were, their rooms were first there. But eventually, especially during the pandemic and being in enclosed with two toddlers and getting complaints already before they were even walking from our downstairs neighbor about the noise. Mm. We just wanted more space for them, and we're lucky enough to be able to give that to them. So we moved to, um, in Rockland County. So we just moved over the summer. How do you like it? You know, it's, 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 it's a shift. I love it, and I'm filled with gratitude. It was, it was really important for us to look for, like, a diverse suburb. Mm-hmm. Um, we're a diverse family. So at least for me, it was a lot of my search was, like, looking at... You know, I don't want us to be the only brown family on the block. That was really mm-hmm. important to me. That was one of the things that took us a long time when, like, looking at neighborhoods. So it was purposeful that we went where we ended up. And it's a lot of work. It's beautiful. Um, we're on almost an acre of land. We bought a 200-year-old barn converted barn house so it used to be a barn in our basement there's like feeders of where like the horse used to eat and the stable that we use as a storage room now Mm -hmm. there's actually like a stable where the horse was um still in the infrastructure um and because it's a 200 year old barn house it has all of the quaint little things like the wooden beams and all the beautiful things but because it's a 200-year-old barn house, it has all the issues that a 200-year-old barn house you would mm-hmm. expect, <laughs> you know? So um, it's which, like, you know, I, I grew up in Jackson Heights and Omar grew up in Harlem. And we're like, what? Outside? <laughs> what, do we, what do we do with an outside? You mean right. I have to throw out my own garbage, like, every day <laughs> outside? Oh, I don't even know how to do that. What is recycling? <laughs> we picked up the recycling and bins from the city and we're like wait how 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 do I do this I don't I don't know I don't know how to do this they had to explain it to us silly silly people um yeah so it's a transition for us but the kids love it and yeah and that's that's you know that's why we did it (laughs) Mm -hmm. and is the commute like long sure it takes me about an hour to get here in the morning and it okay. takes me an hour and a half to get home in the afternoon. Yeah, that's so, not bad. It's not bad. It's worse with two angry toddlers who want to be running around in the back seat because they come here in the with me 
in the day. But most cases, it's not bad. Honestly, it's not bad as as long as they're happy. It's not bad. When they're frustrated, then I'm frustrated. (laughs) But yeah, it's not bad. I no, that's on, not bad. I put on a podcast. That's when I'm going to be listening to your podcast. <laughs> it's going to be on my car rides home. Yay. Oh, yeah. They'll be about hour-ish long. Exactly. So. Perfect. Awesome. Oh, yeah. It's not that bad. Especially, like, there's some people who live in Long Island, and which would assumably be closer, but it's not. It's about the same or even longer. That's what I tell everyone. Everyone's like, wow, you move far. And I'm like, no, no. <laughs> it, yeah, no, not even. Not that bad. I'm just think- going the other direction. Um, I'm just going the other direction and I think that because I'm coming the other way too yeah. there's different routes I feel like in Long Island there's like limited routes on how to get there yeah, I, you're fine and then upstate is there you're like upstate but not upstate exactly nice. <laughs> I'm upstate but not upstate I love that. Oh, yeah. my God. And it's right by Nyack. Do you know Nyack? Yes, I do. And it has all those cute little shops and artsy areas and bookstores and all the things I'm into. So that's the na- like that's the neighborhood right next door to me. Perfect. So. Oh, that's so awesome. And it's nature, too. Yeah. I feel like after, you know, growing up in the city, you get tired of it. Or at least I'm tired of it. I'm at that point. Are you? So, yeah, I'm at that point. I'm looking to move out of state. So, really where yeah, i really don't know um i just know it's i don't want to stay you, here anymore but you went to college in new paltz though so yes i went to college in new paltz and i liked it but it's just i think it's just new york i i want a different scene and i don't know if that means internationally or domestically yeah um, i could so see I, you internationally for a little bit that'd be fun um yeah for, I was going to originally, before the pandemic, I applied for, I don't know if you know about Fulbright. Yes, I did a Fulbright. <gasps> oh, right, you did. Where? I did a Fulbright in Vietnam. Oh, wow. I remember that. Yeah. Yeah, that was amazing. That was an amazing experience. I did it for a summer. I, I did get to travel a lot um, mm-hmm. as part of my education and stuff like that. So I definitely encourage you to do the same. It's, wonderful mm-hmm. and then in vietnam with your fulbright like what like were you just teaching english or did you do like a research component it was um teaching english so the fulbright was for teachers um in practice or pre-service teachers so te- people who want to be teachers mm-hmm. um of teachers of speakers of other languages wow. so teachers who teach like esl um so we went there and we took a couple of different courses and studies one was cultural so we learned about the culture of vietnam um the practices one lang- we had language study every day so we learned vietnamese every day um and then we of course did like instruction how, what are the implications for instruction and how do we incorporate vietnamese language and vietnamese culture in our instruction to best meet the needs of our uh vietnamese and other uh southeast asian students so it was like those parts and we got to we did um i think it was six weeks long in total so it wasn't a super long residency because we're all teachers um Mm -hmm. so i believe it was like three weeks south of vietnam and three weeks north vietnam and yeah it was great it was fantastic um yeah Wow. And do, do you have a lot of Vietnamese students? No. <laughs> no, unfortunately, no. I haven't been able to flex those muscles, but definitely just the practice of... I think it's important for teachers to make that effort to understand both language and culture, right? Like, how do we, mm-hmm. how do we learn about language learning by language learning ourselves and think about how language functions and what implication language has on culture and what implications culture has on language. And I think, you know, especially with, I've been thinking a lot about language whenever I think about like LGBTQ mm-hmm. issues, issues of LGBTQ, I think about how our language is reinforced by culture and vice versa. Mm-hmm. Um, because of the way we use, for example, pronouns. And 
and how do we use those pronouns and where did those pronouns come from and what does that show us about how our culture thinks about gender and sexuality so that's just one example of the things you would think about when you start to think about how culture impacts language and vice versa I was strong. You always blow my mind. I, I always, I struggle with saying Miss Chong and Sam. <laughs> like, Whatever I, you want to call me. I know, but like, I've always, I was telling this to my coworker, like, what am I going to call her? Am I going to call her Miss Chong? Because that's how I register. Yeah. <laughs> so you can call me Miss Chong. Yeah, you can call uh, but me I'm, right. I know, but now I'm like a grown woman. You calling, are a grown woman. <laughs> calling you Miss Chung, but no, a hundred percent. I love that you went to Vietnam and that you yeah, everything about everything that you said in terms of language and its impact on just everything in general. Like after studying, I studied Spanish in college. Just the phonetics, the history, the culture of the like everything that ties into the language much much more than just the language itself mm-hmm. like okay spanish yeah but like how spanish is it you know it's different everywhere it's not just the same all across latin america or even spain mm-hmm. and you know certain words are how even like you were saying with pronouns too um it could be very political especially in spanish i think political and socioeconomical um but I don't want to get into that today. <laughs> no, but that's a great conversation to have. Um, you know, when you were talking about um, just curriculum and curriculum development, I remember being, um, you know, in your class. And even as an adult now, I bring this up all the time. Like the one book I remember we read was The Bluest Eye. <laughs> no, uh... I at the time I was like, whoa, this book is crazy. And then as an adult, I had to read it in college too, again. But this time, like the pages weren't stapled. Like it, all the part, I remember that part, like where they, we had to have a certain chapter stapled. So and, yeah, I'll tell you all the intel behind that. So mm-hmm. you know that you guys were my first class. You guys were mm-hmm. my first class. So you guys were my wildest dreams. And I don't think mm-hmm. anyone ever got my wildest dreams again because you, that only happens once. So right. um, that year I, got, I picked all my books. Um, the school let me pick all of my books, the curriculum. I created that curriculum and I really wanted you guys to read The Bluest Eye. I, I student taught in high school. So I, I, eighth grade at that time was the youngest that I've ever taught. Um, and Bluest Eye, you know, Toni Morrison and The Bluest Eye, you know, Toni Morrison's my favorite, one of my favorite authors mm-hmm. and The Bluest Eye, one of my favorite books. And I just knew I wanted to teach that book um, along with all the books that year. I taught all those. I, I picked all those books and our principal, my actually at the time, our, our, my AP let me pick all my books um, really, really <laughs> blindly trusted. Wow. Um, Blindly trusted is the wrong word. Just like put his trust into me to choose my books and to write my curriculum. Um, and, you know, I did get interrogated for that title afterwards. And I I did. You guys were the last class to ever read it. You were the first and the last class to ever read it in our school. And the books are, have since disappeared from the shelves. Don't even know where they went. Um, and it's because of those, you know, like those pages that needed to be stapled together. Probably not great appropriate. Um, I mean, but you know, I remember, I remember asking you guys about gender stereotypes and this is an eighth grade class. Mm -hmm. And I remember being like, yeah, we should be able to talk about gender stereotypes and like standards of beauty and where they come from in my eighth grade class. And I remember some of you just looked at me like blink, 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 blink. Um, and of course, all of you guys were able to really engage in it and think about it really deeply. But I don't know. I don't know. I don't know if it was the best choice to do that. Could definitely never happen again. Um, that That's kind of the tea on that book. It was just like first year teacher with the biggest dreams in the world. <laughs> um, yeah. What a shame that you didn't get to teach it again. Because I remember talking about just revisiting the topic of education and all the books like we grew up reading and representation and cultural like inclusivity and diversity and everything we're reading and learning. Like not just limited to like literature, but history 
And when I was having these conversations in in college or um, just in general with my colleagues or my peers, I remember that like that book. And I'm so glad I read it at the age that I read it and reading it again as an adult because it gave a lot of like it really changed not changed my perception but it was just I feel like so needed to read just the concept of colorism and all the different things that happen within you know communities of color more specifically at that time it was um where was she located I forget I don't remember off the top I don't of my remember. mind either um, yeah but I remember that at like that class at the time I didn't appreciate it as much as I do as like an adult now and that brings me to my question, like, Ms. Chung, like, your approach to education and teaching ever since then, like, blew my mind as an adult now. And even then, I was like, wow, I learned so much that year. And, um, and I thought so critically about not just, like, what I was reading, but the world around me because of the way you were having to analyze the literature. <laughs> You're going to make me cry. <laughs> no, but it really, it, and for me, I think about, like, I, I can't personally identify with the main character of the book, right? I can empathize with her, but I can't personally say, like, I've been through what she, she's gone through. Um, but it gave me insight as to what she she and other people like her, and I can't imagine someone who does look like her or identify with her story, how reading that story could impact her at such a young age, or anybody, for that matter. And I, I um, think with that book, but also, like, all books, mm-hmm. I think what's... what's what really draws me to it or what I think about is just who decides like what is beautiful who decides mm-hmm. who decides these like ideals and what is the impact of that and how do we break those cycles of power mm-hmm. um, or how do we interrogate that um, yeah so that's what I think about and I don't know I don't know like you said you didn't you don't know if you were ready for it or you appreciated as much then as you did when you were you reread it in college. So, um, and those are conversations I think us as educators always have. Like, when are students able to have conversations like that, and when is it too early? Um, and in, in, you can see that there are books that can introduce topics of power from all ages, all groups, and definitely, I, I definitely naively chose a book way topically not appropriate for your eighth grade class i apologize (laughs) Um, i mean i I felt like maybe it wasn't appropriate because there was like topics of molestation in the book but i don't know at the same time i feel like it was a good a good transition into high school for me because like my teachers in high school made me read like ayn rand and um, I forget the guy who wrote Brave New World. Mm-hmm. So, I, like, it wasn't as shocking. To yeah, me. It, it definitely shifts quite suddenly from middle school to high school, right. and definitely other texts, like even the texts that we read now, hint to now, as in now at our school. Mm-hmm. Um, although not as graphic as in the Bluest Eye, hint to hint to you know these moments of you know, um, crossing the line or, you know, these, these, uh, nuances, you know, so definitely, we do definitely do have that in our curriculum now, but I think as a teacher, you're always just, I don't know, as, as a passionate teacher, I brought my true self to the, to your class. I think you were, like I said, you got the dreamer, Miss Chung, you got Mm. that part of me, you got, and it comes with like pros and cons. It was my first year teaching. And I remember your, your class gave me the feedback or maybe it wasn't your class. It was my other class, my first year. Gave me the mm-hmm. feedback like, Miss Chung, we love you, but you are too nice to us. I remember that my first year. And I think that my, you know, as, as a first year teacher, you bring a lot of your passions and your identity right. into your teaching because mm-hmm. a lot of the time it's because you don't have anything else. Like you don't, you don't have the experience. You don't have the materials. You don't have the, um, the uh, ex- like you don't have those tools that teachers who have been teaching for as long as I have been now do, right? So you bring mm-hmm. so much of your identity and your passion into every day because that's what you got, and you gotta use what you got. 
and now it's like I have so much more now right I have mm-hmm. my experience I have my tools I have my materials and now the challenge is now how do I bring in and make sure that I bring in my passion and my dreams and my identity into my teaching how do I not lose one part and include the other so that like I am bringing those things and I am having my kids think about these like questions that I'm grappling with myself you know like these issues of power and beauty and and gender stereotypes like these are things that I grapple with so I wanted my students to be able like to get angry you know like Mm -hmm. because how do you how do you um how do you get your students passionate to passionate enough to want to find out more so that they can change things so that they can grow up and be a change agent like you are you know like you you grew up and you became an advocate (laughs) and you're that like that's who you became and like that makes me super proud um yeah this chunk that's so nice to hear and it's no it's it's a impactful way of educating you know i feel like i left your class a better student and you know not even better student better like individual on the on the earth and trying to make me cry no never um and i'll never forget the one lesson i learned that year is pineapples don't have sleeves right miss chunk never forget that. what is <laughs> i don't remember that you don't oh, remember remind me the, e- the that ela test? exam i do remember there was i remember that ridiculous story but what was what did you learn about it no nothing it was just pineapples don't have sleeves that was i think literally the underlying moral have you have you um <laughs> did you know that that ended up being a new york times article yeah, I re- the story or the fact that they did that. This, the the fact that they did that story on an ELA exam. <laughs> yeah, I just remember like, what the hell? This is not anything she prepared us for. Yeah. <laughs> like, this is I don't even know what to do with this text. It's not like it's it was weird. And that's what the article was about. Like everyone was like, what is this text? And how did it end up on the state exam? And you know, and that's kind of the story of bureaucratic education which mm-hmm. one is up there making exams and someone is down here teaching classes and people mm-hmm. there's some disconnect between the two we don't know how to fix that i hope they fix it soon because i remember we st- we were so ready for that test and that story or i think the collection of stories in that exam was like what the hell <laughs> this, is, this doesn't make sense what the- it's funny that you remember that. I can never forget it. It was <laughs> I, to this day. I think my whole generation, that whole year, are like all of us. We always bring that up, like pineapple really? don't have sleeves. Yeah, like it's become a meme or something or joke for sure. Um, but that brings. So you talked a lot about. You're a very passionate teacher. Like you don't. I meet a lot of teachers who care about, you know, teaching. I meet a lot of teachers who are burnt out by teaching, but still love teaching. And then I meet teachers who purely don't like teaching at all. And it shows in, you know, the way they teach and in their relationships with their students. And But you were always like the prime example in my head of like the teacher who loves teaching and doesn't stop at nothing, you know, to make sure her students have everything they need and they learn everything. and above and beyond kind of thing um and always wondering i'm like damn this chong like how was she drinking a lot of coffee like how is she doing all this <laughs> i um, was young ellie yo, I, I was I really know, young still even I was me younger as, than like, you are now <laughs> god like this chong after a year I, I not that i lost passion it's just i don't even know what the word is but you had some full steam right and even today like you say like you were young, but like still, like I feel like you're doing the most always, um, which is great. So that brings me to my question: It's like, why teaching? Okay, so what brought me to teaching? Mm-hmm. Um, I was so I I don't know if you you definitely don't know this about <laughs> me, but I grew up undocumented. Um, I moved to the States when I was four and I grew up in the United States. Uh, My mother is Taiwanese, my father is American. um, So we moved here when I was four years old. um, And I very much grew up here, right? I grew up in the United States and I didn't realize I was undocumented. I mean, I knew I was undocumented, but I didn't realize it until I was um, 
in it was time to apply for college and I was like oh shit I can't pay for this right like I can't apply for financial aid I can't I can't do that there's no way I can do that um so then I had to think practically right like how can I afford school I can I can go to school I can apply for school but I'm gonna have to pay for school because I can't apply for financial aid and I can't apply for um scholarships because I don't have a social security number so I had to think very practically like how can I I went I also went to LaGuardia Middle College after Mm. 45 so I graduated with my associate's degree thank goodness so I I only needed to pay for two years of school so I had to think practically about how I could get out of school and have a job (laughs) and pay for school while I was in school so me trying to be really practical I wanted I said to myself what are two practical um routes I can go and it was either teaching or nursing so I found myself in teaching and honestly I fell into teaching and I fell in love with teaching in the classroom in the classroom I didn't grow up wanting to be a teacher I didn't I didn't know I wanted to teach until I was standing in front of students um honestly 100% I fell in love with it because of the students and because of um the profession itself, how it allowed me to be creative and how it allowed me to embolden, um, how it allowed me in my own way to be an advocate for the things that I believed in through my students. Um, and I fell in love with it while I was doing it, right? And I, um, I, loved, I loved it when you guys love, when, you guys, when my students love a lesson, I love it. I tried really hard to think creatively about how to teach something um, because I like it. I like lesson planning. I know that's super silly, but that's one of the biggest things I miss about being in the classroom. Like, I really enjoy lesson planning because I like to be creative. I like to like think about like, man, like what's the creative way to explain to this to someone where they are not bored and they'll get it. But is this the way to do that? Mm. Um, so this job allows me to be creative. It allows me to advocate for what I believe in. It allows me to inspire. It allows me to perform. I wanted to be an actress at one point. <laughs> so it allows me to perform. Um, and it really doesn't let you be have a bad day, right? Like I can be having a terrible day, but when I get in the classroom, I have to I have to turn it off. <laughs> I have to turn my bad day off because I can't take that out of my students. So in a lot of ways, that's really helpful, right? Because you're like, okay, you could be having a terrible day, but you got to push that to the side and focus on the positive because that's mm-hmm. what your students need of you. And there are very few jobs that allow you to do that, you know, allow you that opportunity to do that. So 100%. I fell in love with teaching in the classroom. God, I'm about to cry. Why are you about to cry? <laughs> because that's just so candid, and I didn't know that. I didn't know that's why you chose teaching. Because, like, at being a student of yours, I, I just thought, I was like, oh, she was born doing this. Like, <laughs> no, for real. I thought, I was like, damn, Miss Chung, like, she got it, you know? <laughs> no, because you sit in, like, you too, I'm sure, you've sat in classes where, you know, teachers are above and beyond and like you want to take their class again and then teachers are like damn I never want to come I never want to go anywhere near that teacher you know yeah um yeah but wow I didn't know that and um like how did you end up resolving your status if you don't mind me asking um in not so legal ways (laughs) (laughs) I was just good at that (laughs) Got you. You know, okay. that, and you know, it's definitely you. You support you support immigrants now. You told mm-hmm. me that, right? Mm-hmm. Status, and you know all of the hoops and the hoops uh, um, that they make uh, make immigrants jump through. Um, and you know what? It was just it was. I remember, like like I said, I remember realizing that oh man like you I'm not American like people don't see me as American or America doesn't see me as American and then I remember when I finally got my green card or I'm sorry when I was finally naturalized um thinking to myself man 
I'm not gonna be emotional about this, but I got up there and I cried. I cried. I definitely cried when I when I first, when I finally became a citizen. And it wasn't until I was like maybe 24 or 25. It was later on. Um, so I had been teaching a few years already and everything. So um, until I was finally naturalized, I had my green card for a few years, but until I was finally naturalized, um, and I I just remember thinking, you know, if I would to identify as anything it would be immigrant mm-hmm. i'm not taiwanese i'm not my father's jewish like uh, new york Jew, <laughs> polish mm-hmm. mostly i'm not that either i'm not american i'm immigrant like that's how i identify myself culturally i'm immigrant i'm a new york immigrant mm-hmm. that's how i would identify myself i appreciate that that's strong 100 <laughs> no and yeah, like just resonating on what you were saying, how like not teaching kind of chose you, but you were being practical and then it was teaching and nursing. Mm-hmm. How that kind of like, I feel like that happened to me in my career um, where like I do a lot of advocacy work with immigrants, like you're saying, like all the different statuses and at my job now, just navigating these things um, to a point where some people are like, oh, be, be a lawyer. And I was like, I, the last thing I want to do is work with immigration in that sense like I like being on the outside and navigating these systems not being in the system um I find because I've worked in places where I'm in the system and it's really frustrating for me because I feel like it limits me a lot of what I can do to actually help and I feel like it was a career just like that picked me not the other like I, I didn't think about it myself but it just little by little I feel like it happened without me even noticing I think I used to say this to you guys. Um, I I definitely say it now to my students. You don't need to know what you want to be. You need to know who you want to be. What is? You'll find yourself in those positions. You know. No, you do. It's not linear. It's definitely not linear. It is not. That's the biggest lesson I, I feel like I've learned in my short time. Um, that's no, what this podcast linear. is about. Exactly. Um, things not being linear. And although, like, you know, you graduated, you got the job as a teacher, and that you started from there. What, after that, like, what wasn't so linear for you after that, you would say? Um what wasn't so linear after that it was pretty linear after that um (laughs) honestly it was pretty it has been pretty linear um I'm the kind of person who it's very hard I I don't think I have ever said no to an opportunity so if I see something as an opportunity I will say yes (laughs) so and because of that, and I also do things very system- systematically and always thinking about the next step. Mm-hmm. So, for example, I started teaching. I taught for one year. So I, I started teaching right after undergrad. So um, that's why I was 21 in the classroom. Mm-hmm. Um, I turned 21 in the classroom, in your class, actually. Oh, my God. And then I, yeah, I have a, I'm a, a September baby. So right a at the baby. beginning of the year, I started teaching. And then I took a year off before my master's program and I went back for my master's program. And I did my master's in teaching English as a second language because mm-hmm. I, I taught your class and I also taught a class for ESL students. And I said, hey, I, like, I want to be the best teacher for them. And they're students who are learning English as a second language, so I need to learn more. So I went back for my master's in that. And in doing that, that's what sent me to the Fulbright um, in Vietnam, I've also gone on trips because of that opportunity to Costa Rica. I did a very similar wow. study in Costa Rica. Um, I went with Mr. Tanaka, if you remember Mr. Tanaka. Of also. course, Mr. T. Yeah, Mr. <laughs> Tanaka was also part of that cohort in Costa Rica. Um, wow. I made forever friends in that in that um, in that in that in that um, situation opportunity <laughs> I can't I think of the word right now maybe I need more coffee um and then you know I got to after I graduated with my master's I also got to um teach at Hunter College as an adjunct professor um to students becoming teachers of 
students as a second students of English speakers as a second language. Mm-hmm. So I got to do that, and I then I at the same time um, I started doing some coaching at at IS one forty five and. As a coach at IS-145, we used to get coaching. The coaches would get coaching from the mm-hmm. Department of Education um, to support, you know, how how we talk to adults about adult learning in this setting as a coach, like coaching us to coach. Um, and at the end of the first year as a coach, she came to me and said, like, Sam, how would you like to do what I do to become a leadership coach? And I said, because I don't say no to opportunities, I said yes. So I actually left IS-145 for one year. I don't know if you know that. I didn't. So I left, I quit. Everyone was very angry. Mr. Rodriguez didn't speak to me for a year. <laughs> no, no, no For a half a year. For a half a year, he didn't speak to me. I quit and I supported about like six schools across New York City Department of Education. Um, oh and I supported them, the, the coaching there. And it was at the same time that I applied for my doctorate program. Um, so in that, I, in that, in that position, I learned so much about leadership, about schools, about how schools run and really like the macro, the macro look of schools and how they function and the trickle down effect of that. Um, so I learned so much in that position. Um, I'm so grateful for that opportunity. And then Mr. Rodriguez called at that time he had it was the first year that he became principal also so he called me sometime in the beginning of the year and asked me to come back to support this large grant that we received the school IS-145 received to become a magnet school and I never knew about magnet schools before so I did a lot of research on magnet schools and I read the grant and the language of the grant I remember um, was to reduce the number of minority isolation. That was the language in the grant. Reduce the number of minority isolation. That's the goal of magnet schools. So basically, it's a diversity um, initiative. It's to increase diversity in school because schools like ours are high number of one race. So in our school, we're a high number of Latinos, mm-hmm. Latinx students. Um, and it's to reduce that number so you could increase diversity. That's the goal. But I remember being very, very bothered by the language. Right. That makes me feel uncomfortable. <laughs> minority. Isolation. isolation. Like reduce the number of minority isolation. I was like, well, who says we're isolated? <laughs> who says yeah. <laughs> Who says this is a problem? I'm so confused. Um, and that's why I took the job. I took the job because I was like, wait, what? What, <laughs> what does this mean? Uh... And I took the job because it bothered me. And I know that's strange, but I just like, I was, you know, I, this is a school I attended as a kid. This is my neighborhood. Like, I just felt really bothered by that statement, bothered enough to want to learn more and do something about it. And I came back as a magnet magnet resource specialist. Um, and that's how I started that journey. Um, yeah, and co-currently, while that was happening, I had um, applied for my doctorate program. And the reason that I did that was, do you remember we used to do Socratic seminars? Yes, I was gonna talk, I was gonna ask <laughs> you about that, because what was, I was like 13. Yeah. Probably just turn, like just turning 13, 14. Mm-hmm. And as an adult, I'm like, damn, that's such a great idea and what a cool approach. But yeah, you were saying. So I, it was one of my favorite things to do with my students just because, you know, I just feel like you all have so much to say and sometimes don't know that you can say them. So I remember my last year of teaching, this is like maybe year three or four of Common Core Standards. Oh God, I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, which I think they started right after you graduated. Um, yes. Mm-hmm. So the Common Core Standards came out and I remember doing this with my 851 class the year before I left for a year. And this was a very, very different 851 than your 851 back in the day. And they were very, very quiet, very, very quiet and very, very concerned about saying the right thing or getting the right answer and always really, really intensely on, you know, honors kids who just want to do well. Mm-hmm. Um, and I remember in the, Socr- the Socratic seminars would be like pulling teeth with this class because they just 
wanted to quote from the book. That, that's all they wanted to do. They just wanted to quote from the book and they just didn't want to respond to anything um, because they were afraid of having like, saying the wrong thing. So I remember one student after the Socratic seminar and they were completely quiet, almost completely quiet throughout the whole seminar. She said to me, Ms. Chang, I just don't like saying things that I can't cite from the book. Oh. That was her, like, that's what she said to me afterwards. You know, she doesn't want to say, so basically she didn't want to like share her own original ideas. Like she didn't want to say anything that was her. Wow. And I, and I, I felt guilty. I looked at her and I, and, and I thought to myself, we did this. Like we did this to you. Like we in the edu educational community silenced you. Um, and it bothered me so much that I applied for the doctorate program because I'm like, I need to learn more now. Like, oh, oh my I need God. to learn. I need to learn more. Like, this is a problem. This is not okay. Um, and that's what why I applied for more schooling. <laughs> that, that's I feel like doctorate super school. <laughs> like at huh? this point, um, wow. And so you're getting your PhD. Yes, in curriculum and teaching. That's the department I'm in. Um, yeah, it's been a journey. Mm -hmm. I feel like that's really going to impact change, though, Miss Chung. Like, even now, like, right now I do, I create curriculum with my coworker, and I can't wait to tell her about this conversation because she's currently, you know, in the process. Like, she wants to work on her own curriculum, right? Mm -hmm. And, you know, we, we, I've had to create curriculum myself, and I was just like, what the I don't even say what the fuck, but what the fuck? It's a lot. It takes a lot and not just like curriculum so that you learn whatever the objective is, but it's trauma-informed curriculum, uh, inclusive curriculum, all these different things you want your the participants, the students to get out of it and to feel part of it and to, you know, all of these things. So when you talk about, or just in general, when you're saying like you really want to change or... Uh, improve curriculum that's already created for children to learn like even with common core like the fact that this girl didn't want to share her own opinion mm -hmm. or her own ideas yeah. original ideas like we broke her. the curriculum <laughs> yeah no it's just how sad and I feel like that's gonna really change a lot of Miss Chung, you're always changing shit. I love it so <laughs> I, I read this quote I was reading this article the other day um for this project that I'm working on. And this quote I'm gonna read to you really resonated with me and has mm -hmm. been really problematizing mm -hmm. all of this attempt that we have in writing curriculum. Are you ready? Yeah, I'm ready. <laughs> okay, it says, how could I recommend practices that would somehow be appropriate for all classrooms yet adhere to one of the core tenets of culturally responsive teaching? namely to respect and respond to the particular diversities in each classroom. How can we be, so that, that's the quote. Um, mm -hmm. It's from Geneva Gay. If, um, you know, that's my, my, my quote for, my, my citation for your listeners. <laughs> um, I'm just, I, I just think about how the impact of mass producing things. So what is the impact of mass producing curriculum and what is the trickle down effect of that? Can we mass produce curriculum? How does that respond to students' individual needs? How can we talk about individual needs if we're packaging things and we're mass producing it? Mm. When, I was, when I taught you the bluest eye, I wrote that curriculum for you guys. For you, wow. like for for those kids in front of me. Mm -hmm. But when we talk about curriculum and the way we talk about it for you know for the entire you know who what are we talking all of the all of the Department of Education schools, which you know obviously I'm part of that process now and it's exciting and and um, game changing, right? Mm -hmm. But I. I have to sit with this idea of how are we creating curriculum for for many when we want to target individual. Right. I don't know. It's, it's just not something. I just something I sit with. 
And then maybe it's a redefi- redefinition of what is curriculum or a defining of what is curriculum. What does curriculum even mean? What is mm-hmm. curriculum? Is it a, a book list? Is it a reading list? Is it a protocol list? Is it a skill set? What What is curriculum? Is it a pacing calendar? What is curriculum? It's definitely not a one-size-fits-all, I think. Yeah. It can't be. But no, you're right. Like, I, all these questions about curriculum, and it changes. Even when I teach the material that I have, I have two different um, curriculums that I work with. Every time I teach it, I have a different approach to it. Like, it's not going to be the same every time. And I don't like it to be the same every time. Personally, for me, I feel like I learn new things in the last cohort and I bring it to my next cohort. And I don't want it to be like robotic and, you know, they have different learning styles too. Mm-hmm. That's another thing with like education. Like, there's the kids in the classroom all have different learning styles, all have different uh, areas of growth and strengths, you know? And I feel like that should be incorporated into curriculum development for sure mm-hmm. and it's not so formula like it's not a, a formula you know you a plus b equals c or whatever if that even is a thing mm-hmm. math wasn't my strongest <laughs> obviously me either <laughs> <laughs> no but i appreciate that Miss Chung, for sure and that's so inspiring that you just like decided to go challenge this question instead of let this question like a lot of people i see myself included sometimes like have so many problems with what's going on but do nothing about it but I've never known you even as a kid to do that and even this conversation like you saw that issue and you were like let me just go to school and start you know working on this issue and being a part of the change so that's really inspiring mm-hmm. I love it it's, it's just outrage <laughs> outrage well, for sure. it's just outrage that's what it is but that's the and I guess that's what I always try to do with you guys I always wanted you to be outraged when you when you read something I wanted you to be outraged I wanted you to like that's what I try to do with my students now. I want them to read something and be like, wait a minute. And I, I guess, I guess like that's kind of the opposite of what a lot of people, uh, it's like outrage coupled with hope, right? We have to be outraged for their, for hope to exist. Um, because how can we strive towards like better tomorrow? I know that's really, really corny, but how do, how can we hope for better tomorrow if we're not outraged with the things we're outraged with enough mm-hmm. to do something about it? I'm very inspired and I'm glad that you're doing something about it. I don't know if I am. That's, you know. You, you definitely <laughs> are. If, if education is going to grow and change and if there's better things coming, I definitely see your hand being in it. Thank you. Thank For you. sure. Uh-huh. And that brings me to my final question. Um, if you could give one piece of advice to someone listening to your story or overall someone on the road to self-discovery and growth, what would it be? What would it be? That's a hard question. Let's save it for last. Um, just walk through the door. You just gotta keep walking through the door. You gotta be able to see the doors and walk through them. Have your eyes open enough to see the doors and be hopeful and brave enough to walk through them. That's all. Enough said. I like yeah. that. Wait, Mr. Rodriguez is the principal now? Oh, you didn't know that? I didn't know that. I <laughs> yeah, I mean, you're about to him. miss it. He's about to retire in a few no years. <laughs> oh. Yeah, Mr. Rodriguez is the principal. Wow. I remember when he was just at AP. Yeah, and there's so many more dual language classes now. There's like five on a grade. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. Dual language at the time, I didn't appreciate you it. Hated it. it. You I hated, hated it. I hated it. And then I ended up studying Spanish. <laughs> That's what I studied. You guys Spanish. never, you never knew how amazing you were. No, not even. Take it for granted. <laughs> All I mean, I think it's just you guys didn't know how amazing you were being bilingual the way you were. No, oh, yeah, learning math you and Spanish. And science, science, taking the regions in Spanish and English, and you guys are amazing. No, definitely. It, 
I didn't realize at the time until, yeah. and then when we got to high school, we were like, one language? Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> well, how easy everything's going to be. <laughs> That's oh hilarious. God. And all I of the, I, I mean, I remember in that class, especially in that year, I had so many people that didn't ha- come from families that were Spanish speaking at home. There was like mm-hmm. China and Abador. Yeah. I spoke Bengali at home. And then they were speaking like awesome Spanish. And yeah, class. like that's 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 something to like that's something to be proud of. No, for sure. Wow. Oh, well, if anybody remembers me from IS one forty five, tell them I say hey. <laughs> I you know I told Mr. Rodriguez we were interviewing me today. <laughs> oh no way! He yeah. remembers me. Of course. Oh wow. What do you say? He's like, of course I remember her. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my god, that's crazy. And Mr. And I'm sure Mr. Tanaka remembers you. Oh, Mr. He was a student teacher, right? Yeah, he was my student teacher that year. That's crazy. But it was also my first year teaching, so we very much taught each other. (laughs) I'm sure. Equally taught each other that year. Now you guys are teachers, like full blown. Oh, that's crazy. Mm -hmm. Wait, whatever happened to Mr. Vega? Mr. Vega retired. Okay. And who else did you have? That was social studies. For math, you had... Miss Sagasagi. That Her name is M- Mrs. Cullen now. Oh, Miss Cullen. <laughs> you guys used to... Oh, man. I remember you had a hard time with math. It's so funny because now the students, they say a completely different story about Mrs. Cullen than you guys. You guys thought she... You always made it seem she was so scary. Everyone else says she's so funny. That That's funny to hear that she's funny now. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I don't think she was funny in class. Everyone says how funny she is. So maybe it was you guys. Yeah, she just didn't like us. That's funny. I don't think that's true. Nah, she liked us. Yeah. She, I don't know what the issue. I remember I had to sit next to her. That sucked. Well, not sucked sitting next to her, but just, yeah. Yes, but she's still <laughs> here. Who else? Did you had Mr. Vega for social studies. You had Ms. Sagasagi. Sagasagi. You had Mr. Asin. Mr. Hussein, yeah, he has a new baby, right? He just had his second baby. He's great. He actually was the one who encouraged me to go get my doctorate because he is also getting his doctorate. What the heck? In, in art education. He has wow. a nonprofit for like the sustainability of art education. Oh my god. And he he visits like other countries educating people on how to use um sustainable tools. Um for art he can talk more eloquently about this but no um, cool. de- definitely like wow. it's like art sustainability so he started his program a year before me and was like sam you have to do this i see you fitting in here and he encouraged he also goes to teacher's college goes to columbia we're in different departments obviously oh but he is the one who encouraged awesome. me to do it wow i'm astonished i'm not surprised but i'm like, wow <laughs> How awesome. And Mr. Mr. Mateo, right? Mr. Mateo's AP now. Oh my god. Wait, senior or junior? Junior and senior. Senior is retired. Junior is AP now. Wow. He's you tell him I say hello. Eleanor says hey. I will. I will. <laughs> oh my god. Miss um yeah. what was her name? Damn, she was social studies. Miss mm, Galeas? Miss Galeas, yeah. Miss Galeas is still here. She's amazing. She has two kids now. Mm-hmm. Oh my God. It's like we all grew up. Of course. <laughs> oh, it keeps happening, right? We keep telling it to stop, but it keeps happening. Oh gosh. And Miss Garrido. Miss Garrido, she is retired. She's about Good. to move to the Carolinas oh, like next God. week. Um, oh. Yeah, really soon. Yeah. Damn. They all, they just all grew up, all of you. Wow. <laughs> all of you, look at you. I know. I'm you like, keep in touch with anybody from your class during that time? Um, I'm trying to think. Oscar. I remember has, Oscar. <laughs> never forget Oscar. Oscar has a baby now. What? Yeah, Oscar has a baby now. He's a dad. His I think his baby turns one this year. Wow. Yeah. I'm going to actually interview Jackie. I don't know if you remember Jackie. Yes, yes. Yes. I'm interviewing Jackie. Um, just in passing, I, I've spoken to like Bianca, Stephanie, um, Alejandra. 
Alejandra wow. is Alejandra. That's one person I haven't heard. Yeah, she's good. I think she's. I think she's studying to be a doctor or something. Wow. Something big in, in science, but yeah, she's doing good. I remember, we had our entire relationship was nonverbal. Yeah. <laughs> I know. I remember. She knew English. So I, I I remember. I got so good at reading this girl's facial expressions. <laughs> I got so good at it. That I knew exactly what she was thinking <laughs> without her needing to speak. <laughs> that wouldn't fly in these days that we have to teach with our masks on. But oh, wow. oh God, right? Yeah, that's a whole other, a whole other um, conversation. Right, there's a whole other episode. Right Post-pandemic there. education. Oh God, I know. Some of my friends are teachers, and let me tell you, it's just it's, it's not. Hard. It's yeah. really hard. But I know you have a busy schedule, so I'll let you continue about your day. Thank you so much, Ms. Chong, for being on my podcast. And I can't wait to work on this episode and all your insight. It was really awesome. Thank you for having me. All right. I'll talk to you soon. Yes. Bye. Bye.